0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. I always appreciate you tuning in, and I appreciate you using the information that you receive here on Washington Watch to take action. And we'll have some action items for you today, so stay tuned. Well, coming up, the flying objects that were shot down over the weekend continue to be the focus of Washington, D.C., as the Biden administration floats messages that, quite frankly, are contradictory.
2: and I want to reassure Americans that these objects do not present a military threat to anyone on the ground. They do, however, present a risk to civil aviation and potentially an intelligence collection threat. And we'll get
3: to the bottom of it.
1: That was Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin yesterday saying the objects are not a threat. But the administration has repeatedly said they're not sure what the objects are or where they have come from. So how can they know that they're not a threat? The American people deserve to get answers.
0: I appreciate the military coming to brief us. I appreciate the intelligence community briefing Congress in a classified setting, but Americans are worried, they're concerned, they're interested, and they have a right to know why President Biden directed the actions that he did over the last week.
1: That was Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton today following a classified briefing on the unidentified flying objects. We'll talk with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley about UFOs, IOUs, and how the left is weaponizing government, not only to target conservatives, but to squash the truth. And you've probably heard about the revival on the historic campus of Asbury University in Kentucky. Quite frankly, this is encouraging. I've sent FRC's chaplain and prayer coordinator to the campus, and he is on his way there now. But what is revival, and how does it happen? How do we know if it's real? We're going to get a firsthand report from the campus when Professor Clint Baldwin, a professor at Asbury, who has been there since the revival began about a week ago. He joins us later. And despite the legacy media's blatant, blatant bias against efforts to protect children from the sexualization of the LGBTQ activist, dozens of states are still advancing legislation that will protect children. Now, as we mentioned yesterday on the program, South Dakota became the most recent state in passing a measure that would protect children from surgical and non-surgical transgender treatments. Treatments, by the way, which are often irreversible. Travis Weber will join me to discuss the success of these type of measures protecting children since FRC helped create and pass the first law in Arkansas back in 2021. And these legislative efforts includes includes laws that will protect uh, children from the deceptive drag queen shows, which trans activists claim are harmless, as well as uh, books that contain pornographic material. We're going to discuss a measure in Idaho that empowers parents to ensure schools and libraries obey the law. We'll talk with the Idaho sponsor of the bill, State Representative Jaron Crane, coming up later on Washington Watch. These state laws protecting children, and uh, quite frankly, there have been literally hundreds introduced this year, show that lawmakers are responding to you. And uh, there's one actually in Tennessee that needs your input. David Fowler, President of Family Action Council of Tennessee, We'll have the details later here on Washington Watch. So if you live in Tennessee, be ready. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out and share it with your friends. Our word today comes from Nahum 1, verse 14. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. The prophet Nahum announces that the judgment God is bringing upon Nineveh would be final. The revival that came to that city when Jonah reluctantly preached to them about 150 years earlier was one of the most comprehensive revivals recorded. Jonah preached, they repented, and God relented. But now they had turned away and forgotten the grace of God that had been uniquely offered to a Gentile nation. Having walked away from God's grace, they now faced his wrath. Is there a message here for us? I think of the lyrics in America the Beautiful, God has shed his grace on thee, but having experienced that grace, are we like Nineveh in that we have forgotten God. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Officials from the Biden administration briefed senators from both parties this morning on the rash of airborne objects penetrating U.S. skies in recent days. Now, the report, frankly, raised more questions than answers, leading many Republicans to call for the president to address the nation directly. So what have we learned and how should our military be responding? Joining me now to discuss this and much more is Senator Chuck Grassley. He serves on five Senate committees, including the Senate Judiciary Committee, where he is the ranking member. He represents the state of Iowa. Senator Grassley, welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, Tony. Anytime you want me, I'll be glad to be here. Well, it's always good to see you, and I appreciate you uh, coming on to help our listeners find a little bit more about what's happening at our nation's capital. What's the latest that you can share about the airborne objects our military has been shooting down as of late?
4: I ought to be able to share more with you than what I can because we have overclassification of too much material. And I think I, I believe I heard Senator Cotton earlier on your program just say roughly the same thing. Uh, the public has a right to know about this, and uh, and unless uh, some of this stuff is uh, more uh, made public, I don't know whether a speech by the President of the United States would do any good to uh, develop it uh, and uh, develop this issue. So. Uh, what I've learned is this, we, uh, we've got a big vacuum in our uh, reconnaissance, uh, it threatens our national security, it, strikes, uh, it compromises our sovereignty, uh, it uh, also is a, uh, a violation of international law. We ought to know where these crafts come from, we ought to know what they do. Uh, and, uh, and it looks to me like there's plenty of evidence because when this was shot down the first time in the Atlantic Ocean, that's the first one, then we learned that over the previous four or five years, uh, they have over Guam, over Hawaii, over Florida, uh, and, uh, and uh, so it raises a question whether our surveillance is adequate to protect the nation.
1: I, I would agree. And, and I, I again, I understand these are classified briefings and I would agree with you. I think some of this uh, is over classification because some of this stuff the public should uh, have access to. But I just want to I want to ask you if, if I'm off base here, but it feels like or sounds like we're getting contradictory messages from the administration. On the one hand, they're telling us these are not a threat. Don't worry about it. It's OK. Go about your business. Don't look up. Just keep uh, looking forward. But then on the other hand, they're saying they don't know what these objects are. They don't know where they came from. So how can
4: both statements be true? Uh, They can't be true, and you've got it figured out right. And I can't add to anything you said except to agree with you.
1: All right. Well, with that, we're going to move on to the next subject. Because uh, you testified last week before the House Weaponization Subcommittee saying, I've never seen so much effort from the FBI, the partisan media, and some of my Democratic colleagues to interfere with and undermine very legitimate congressional
4: inquiries. Please explain that. That's the triad. The Democrats, the FBI, and the media in cahoots. And Senator Johnson and I, over the years that we've been investigating the Biden family, particularly Hunter Biden, uh, have found those three entities working against us, and they uh, worked for a couple years to discredit all of our in, uh, of our investigation, and they said it was uh, Russian disinformation. In the final analysis, uh, you know, on speeches almost a year ago now, Senator Johnson and I laid out uh, uh, bank documents uh, signed by both. Uh, Chinese business people connected to the Chinese military that would raise questions about whether or not there's some compromise of our national security through Hunter Biden, but they gave just a fabulous amount of money uh, to uh, Hunter Biden and James Biden. And then when we exposed all that, the Democrats in conjunction with the FBI then in conjunction with the help of the media to spread the lies, they said we were spreading Russian disinformation. Uh, All those bank documents that we put on the Senate floor uh, for illustration are obviously not uh, Russian disinformation. Now, eventually, the Washington Post and New York Times had to finally say that uh, what Grassley and Johnson said were right. But the the extent to which uh, Speaker Pelosi uh, and Sh- uh, Schumer, and then the chairman and r- ranking member, or the chairman of the two intelligence committee, uh, the extent to which they went uh, to, uh, to make sure uh, that the FBI would give us a briefing that presumably was classified but they sent along some unclassified information that was leaked to the press, wanting everybody believed that this was Russian disinformation. So you see why I said at the beginning of my statement, what I'm saying to you today to this subcommittee may sound like a spy thriller, but it actually happened and it actually happened in the American government.
1: Now, Senator Grassley, you, you're you a senator. You've been in the Senate for a long time. You've chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee's uh, committee, and you're telling me that— and I'm not surprised by the Democrats in the media. I get that. But you're saying the FBI put uh, squashed the truth that you were putting out there about corruption in the Biden family, which has now been—these documents have been validated that these were not from Russia. They were real. Has the FBI apologized to
4: you? No, they have not, and I don't expect them to, although they should. Let me clarify just a little bit what you described. Uh, what they basically did as a result of a letter from, Reich, uh, from Democrat leaders to the FBI saying, you really ought to tell Grassley and Johnson in a uh, secured briefing uh, that they're in cahoots uh, with or that they're uh, following Democrat disinformation and tell them so that they'll get off of it. That's basically the message, the way I would read it. And then we had that briefing, and then after the briefing, there were things leaked to the press that we were told it was going to be a secret briefing and nothing would be made public. And it was made public, and then the media carried the story for them that Grassley and Johnson were uh, uh, spreading Russian disinformation. Well, now, Everybody knows that we weren't spreading Russian disinformation. So, so they tried to discredit you? Oh, without a doubt, because you see, was, uh, this stuff was coming at the time of the 2020 election. Right. We put out our last report, or our first report, September. Then we put out another one after the November election. And, uh, and it had all this information in it that I'm just telling you about the relationships between Hunter Biden and chinese business people connected to the chinese it, military and their intelligence uh that uh, that was going to maybe upset people as far as the election coming up between biden and trump
1: incredible our own government shutting down duly elected senators people can
4: i give you a more specific well, example
1: we're, we're up against uh, a was... we're up against a break senator i would love to um we're going to get you back on to talk more about this and have more time to discuss it, because this is this is troubling, extremely troubling. Senator Grassley, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today.
4: Glad to be with you, of course, and call me back.
1: I definitely will. All right, folks, we're up against a break, but coming up on the other side, Revival in Kentucky, Asbury University. We're going to be talking with one of the professors who has been there from the start about a week ago. Stay with us.
5: Learn more at frc.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. A routine chapel service that began last Wednesday at Asbury University is still going on as students and faculty alike report experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit throughout the ongoing service. Enthusiastic reports of revival have since spread, drawing Christians from literally across the country to the Kentucky campus. On-site witnesses report that genuine repentance is occurring and the worship service has shown no sign of ending soon. Joining me now for a report on the scene is Asbury University adjunct professor Clint Baldwin. Professor Baldwin, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us.
6: Glad to be here. Thankful to be one voice witnessing to the goodness that's transpiring.
1: Well, it's been just a little over 50 years ago where we saw the last revival that in uh, in 1970 there on the campus. Tell us what you've experienced this past week. You live right across the street from there and you've been experiencing this nonstop. Tell us about it.
6: We sure do. We, we are thankful to have been here for quite some time. The fascinating part of this is the ground has been tilled for a long time. There's three chapels every single week at Asbury, and people are praying at a continual basis. And yet this does not transpire regularly every single day. So here we were once again following the methods, the rhythms of spiritual practice that we have. And the gospel choir sang at the end of a chapel, and people stayed. There was space given to say a further yes to the Lord and the good work that the Lord can do in people's lives, and they stayed. And then lunchtime happened, and they still stayed. And then people started to hear about it, both in our own community and further via word of mouth, via social media, and people came. And they keep coming. It's now overflowing Hughes Chapel, which was named after John Wesley Hughes, who founded Asbury in 1890, to McKenna Chapel and uh, to Estes Chapel across the street at Asbury Theological Seminary. And people are coming from universities, from churches, from their communities. It is absolutely beautiful. There are elders who are seeking to shepherd and steward the process, to remain open to the work of the Lord and what the Lord would then have us do. Uh, You all probably are well aware that whether it's Jonathan Edwards or John Wesley, Methodism and his societies were one of the results of the great awakening that transpired. And Asbury is a result of that. And this revival is part of that long, continuous process of the Lord at work in his church.
1: Professor, let me ask you this question, because it's been a while since America has experienced revival. It's been a while even since we've had conversations about spiritual matters in the broader culture. So define revival.
6: Revival can look a number of different ways, but one of the things is is that our heart would be strangely warmed. This is language that is utilized by Wesley, uh, that the Lord would move in a renewing way in us to seek to be his hands and feet in the world, to seek to better bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, that we would seek to be his ambassadors to people in the world. This is the work of the church all along, but it's a renewed sense of that. And so from this moment needs to come a movement and along the lines of what Eugene Peterson might say, a long obedience in the same direction. We need to better disciple ourselves into the way of Jesus for the sake of all the world.
1: But it begins internally with the individual believer and, and of course, in the in, in the Methodist faith, there's a lot of focus on holiness and a return to biblical truth. And I, I the reports I'm getting, that's where this is beginning there in uh, Asbury. Amen.
6: Yes, inside out. It, the Lord changes us, and then we seek to, on behalf of the world, through the Lord's grace and empowered by the Lord, to share that good news with the rest of the world. That's exactly what's happening, and this is happening with Gen Z. People have said all kinds of things about moving away from the church, stepping outside of the church, not understanding the church, but the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has really brought the flame the wick of the candle that is Gen Z with this. And we are so excited to let this generation lead forward. It is a multi-generational revival. We've got everybody from Gen Z all the way to builders. We've got some folks who were at the revival in 1950, not just the 1970, but the 1950 revival. So people in their 90s, in their 70s, all the way down to their 20s and to young children who are coming with their parents. That is the kind of the work that the Lord is doing. People are sleeping in the chapel. They're waking up and eating and continuing to worship. And from here, they'll move out. But for now, the Lord is gracing and gifting his people with a sense of saying, you are my beloved.
1: Uh, Professor Baldwin, is there a sense that this is going to continue for some time?
6: I think so. We're at just about 160 hours straight. It is 24-7 that this is transpiring. There's worship and testimonies during the days, praise and worship throughout the evenings, prayer happening at the altar through all time. And we're open to what the Lord has. No small miracle in the midst of all of this is an institution, an academic institution, being nimble and pivoting and being willing to say yes to the work of the Lord. Normally academia is noted for being uh, bureaucratic and having red tape, but here is the institution once again saying, Lord, have your way with us. We'll pause our programming for the sake of yours.
1: And you are open to those seeking revival coming there to the campus to be a part of this?
6: And that is a beautiful part of this, too. Open doors and open arms, just like Jesus was saying, we'll figure this out as we go. There's no playbook in place already. Uh, This was as of last Wednesday morning. We had no idea that we would be hospitable in these ways. But people are stepping up and they're saying yes. And we are encouraged to say we're the body of Christ together.
1: You can't plan revival. It comes on oh. God's timetable. As you said, you can only till the soil and, uh, and God brings the increase. In fact, we've sent our uh, chaplain and a prayer coordinator who is on his way to the campus there now to join uh, in what is taking place. Uh, you know, Kentucky's no stranger to revival. You go back to the second great awakening and Peter right there in uh, Rogues Harbor. Uh, where revival broke out in Kentucky. So uh, we only pray that this is one that spreads all across this nation for our nation desperately needs a uh, a move of God.
6: Amen and amen. And I think it already is. Our prayer is that it will continue. Uh, We're excited to have somebody from your area here with us as well. All
1: right, Professor Baldwin, thank you so much for taking time out to join us today. We're very encouraged and grateful for the report.
6: Thank you. Please be in prayer with us.
1: Yes, absolutely. We're going to encourage our viewers and listeners to do just that. Folks, I do want to encourage you to be praying. We we sensed back on February the 1st when we did the uh, gathering for prayer and repentance on Capitol Hill that God was doing something at the Museum of the Bible. And it was powerful. And we're continuing to hear uh, from those that were there. So we're seeing this in pockets across the country. And so let's pray. That's what, what is happening there on the campus of Asbury University continues to uh, to just spread across this nation, Brush, brush fires of revival. All right, stick with us. More Washington Watch straight ahead. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Glad you tuned in. The website is tonyperkins.com. Are right, you tracking a lot of stuff happening in the states? And quite frankly, it's encouraging. Given the fact that the media, we were talking with Cinder Grassle earlier about this uh, trifecta of the the media, the Democrats, uh, and the FBI. I mean, we've we've got all these cultural forces that are working against families and parents, and when someone steps up to protect children from the LGBTQ activist, they are pummeled, but guess what? They're coming and they continue to come. Those that are defending children, they just just keep marching and they're moving forward and guess what's happening? They're getting traction. And literally hundreds of laws have been introduced this year to protect children from this uh, deceptive, devious and dangerous agenda. Courage breeds courage, and there's a law that has now been proposed in Idaho that would allow parents to make sure that the laws protecting their children from pornographic material is actually obeyed by schools and public libraries. And I can tell you from experience, having passed a number of laws, it's the enforcement that matters. And rarely does government hold government accountable. Allowing parents to do that is important. The law would allow parents to sue in civil court if— They, that being the schools and libraries, allow minors to obtain books, films, and other media that depict inappropriate and offensive sexual content. The legislation, which is House Bill 139, this is in Idaho, empowers parents to take on any institution that does not take responsible steps to restrict access to harmful material for minors. Well, join me now to discuss this is the author of the bill, State Representative Jaron Crane. He represents Idaho's Legislative District Number 12CB. Uh, State Representative Crane, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you so much, Tony, for having me. It's a favorite to be here.
1: Well, uh, we've got listeners in Idaho, and so I, I want you to give them, as well as the rest of us, an update on where this bill stands, what it does, and how they can help you.
3: Oh, wonderful. Well, Thank you so much for the opportunity to share a little bit about the bill. Um, it was introduced uh, this week in House State Affairs Committee, and uh, I'm proud to say that it was introduced without question and in a unanimous vote to introduce. So we actually will have a full hearing on this bill probably next week, um, and, and we'll learn more about that as time goes on and we see the agendas being updated from the chairman. Um, a little bit about this bill, House Bill 139, what we're, what we're seeking to do, and I'm, I'm calling it the Children's School and Library Protection Act it's it's requiring those institutions to take reasonable steps to keep harmful material away from our kids and um, we are getting a lot of blowback a lot of pushback on this bill what it's asking as a as a response for enforcement is if a librarian and more even more specifically the institution exposes kids to that material without taking a reasonable step they're going to pay ten thousand dollars occurrence to that child and 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 uh, pay for that penalty and and so we're asking the libraries to step forward and to take reasonable steps to secure that material
1: i mean reasonable i mean the think th- things can happen but they at least have to show that they're trying to protect children and 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 the critics are saying this is about banning books that you're trying to, to yeah. ban books in the state of idaho i, I don't read it that way
3: yeah. You know, it's um, it's not a book ban bill. And, and, and that's what it's being framed as, because if we can start down that path then we can start saying, well, what about this book? And what about that book? Um, I had a legislator come up to me today and say, hey, I'm getting blowback from my uh, constituents saying, what about the Bible, the Song of Solomon? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There's actually inside of this bill. We talk specifically about it. And, and I listen in here. There are things that have artistic, political and scientific literary value. The, that, that come on that's common sense we know what pornography is well the and problem so we're to,
1: the problem yeah. has been that schools and libraries are exempt from the restrictions on obscenity and pornography so they get by with this big loophole you're simply you've clo you're closing that loophole and saying hey you got to take reasonable steps and if you don't parents can take action to protect their children is that
3: correct that's correct tony and you know it as well as i do if a Seven Eleven clerk passed out pornographic material to a kid. They would have criminal charges against them. Right. So what we're saying is, why would a library be any different? These are where we, these kids should be able to go. It's and even
1: worse. It. It's even worse yeah. because that, that library is funded with your tax dollars.
3: That's exactly right. And I've told people that. I said, this isn't a private thing. This is our tax dollars. We should know that when we send our kids to public libraries, that they have every single thing taken care of. And we shouldn't even have to worry that they have access to that kind of material. This is public taxpayer dollars. It's in our state's best interest that we bring up a virtue and moral people.
1: I agree 100 percent. So very quickly, uh, Representative Crane, how can viewers and listeners help? What what's what do they need to do? Who do they need to call?
3: They need to call the legislature Um, specifically looking right now. They're looking at transferring this bill. It was in house state affairs. I have a meeting with the speaker after this uh, interview here to go talk with them to make sure the bill stays in house state affairs. Um, Currently, they're trying to push it over to the education committee. And I'm going to find out why that is. Uh, We want to keep it in house state affairs. So stay tuned for where this bill is going to end up. But right now, contacting the education committee on the house side or on the uh, state affairs committee would be very welcome telling them to support this piece of legislation.
1: All right, we'll, uh, we'll encourage all our listeners and uh, viewers in Idaho to do just that. Uh, Representative Crane, thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. All
1: right, and thank you for leading out. See, we need more legislators like that, okay? And when they see somebody, you know, step, stepping forward like this, it begins to spread across the country. In fact, we helped uh, get the first measure out of the state of Arkansas. We, we wrote it, worked with the uh, author to get a bill out to protect children from the whole transgender surgery and uh, hormone treatments. And that passed Arkansas. Now it's going through many states. In fact, Travis Weber is going to join us a little bit later to talk about how the states are embracing that law. Don't go away. We're back after this.
5: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
1: All right. Glad that you have tuned in on this Tuesday. And if you live in Tennessee, stand by because I've got some uh, information for you that you're going to need to act upon. So before we do that, I want to go back to this topic we've been talking about, the media and how biased the media is, especially when it comes to the effort to protect children from all of this stuff surrounding the LGBTQ. Now, to be sure, not everybody in that community uh, are, not all of them are activists trying to uh, force this onto society, but a lot are, and the media is afraid of it. Here's, this is a piece from the USA Today, all right? I just want to show you, I'm going to walk you through this to show you how biased this is and why programs like Washington Watch are so important to get information, news and information out from a biblical perspective. All right, this is uh, this is a special report from the USA Today about how the the battle over drag shows is tearing at America. So I'm just going to pull a couple of quotes. Lawmakers in eight states have introduced a total of 14 bills targeting drag shows, according to an analysis by, by PIN America, uh, kind of a left-leaning organization that's out there. But anyway... So, uh, first paragraph, drag shows that allow children in the audience have come under fire from far-right extremists across the country over the last year, sometimes with resulting violence. And an adult drag show in Colorado Springs became the scene of a mass shooting in which the shooter now faces hate crime charges. Now, if you, you read that all, and that's one paragraph, you read that, it's two sentences, you think, wow. Wow. I mean, these parents are getting really bad. These far right wing extremists, they're shooting people. All right. And how many parents want their children to be exposed to this type of vile material? I would think there's probably a lot that do not want their children exposed to this. So are they right wing extremists because they don't want this? And then look at how it's, it conflates what parents are doing to stop their children from being exposed to this, to this adult drag show in Colorado Springs that was the scene of a shooting, which the shooter was sexually confused himself. It had nothing to do with what parents are doing across the country. This is irresponsible journalism. Now, I want want to drop down to the next paragraph and show you the contrast. Supporters of all age drag shows say they provide critical support a critical support network for LGBTQ children who can benefit from events that celebrate gender identity and expression. Right wing extremists amplified by conservative pundits and politicians claim all age drag shows are damaging to children's mental health and allege without evidence that they are havens for child abusers. All right, so where's the evidence that These shows, these all-age drag shows, provide critical support for LGBTQ children. The the reporter made that assertion, but yet challenged the claim that this is affecting children, grooming them in many cases. This is the bias of the media. This is USA Today. I'm not even sure I would trust it in my birdcage. That's the type of journalism we're getting today. Okay. The Tennessee Senate overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly passed a bill to protect children from harmful and experimental gender surgery yesterday. This is one of those bills. I said they signed it into law yesterday in South Dakota. It's moving across the country. We had one of the first in Arkansas. But observers already anticipate a legal fight from both the ACLU and the transgender industry if the bill is signed into law. Now, anticipation... Of this litigation, the Family Action Council of Tennessee has offered an amendment to both the House and Senate leadership that counters the ACLU's version of parental rights, which could potentially be used in federal court to claim the proposed law is unconstitutional. Join me now to explain this and give you action items is David Fowler. He is the president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. David, welcome back to the program.
2: Thank you, Tony. It's good to be with you. And thanks for calling your attention to this because this is one of those things where um, you have a right end a, 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 you know a right objective but the right objective's done the wrong way still wind up being problematic and can come back to bite you and so the, the question is how do we understand parental rights because you're always dealing with minors in these situations and parents have certain rights with respect to their children the supreme court's acknowledge that we we would acknowledge it too and so the the question is, how do you define um, what the parents' rights are versus what they are not? So I've given the example: to remove a, a young girl's breast because of cancer is is a, a decision a parent should have the freedom to make. To remove it because she thinks by removing the breast you can become a boy—that's not the decision you can make. So in Tennessee, what they've done to justify the action is describe it in terms of protecting children from emotional harm and promoting children's dignity. Well, as a lawyer, I don't know what the legal definition of dignity or emotional harm is, and where is that going to lead? Taking your children to a Family Research Council rally or a March for Life, you know, before they're seven years of age, if the American Psychiatric Association says that harmful, is is that justification to for state law to say you can't drag your children to those events? And and we've offered language to clear that up, to clean that up, to remove that ambiguity. And so far, our leadership has rebuffed uh, those invitations.
1: Okay, so they the, give us the bill name and number, so people know who to what what they need sure. to say when they contact.
2: Sure. Uh... sure, sure. The the bill is up for tomorrow in in the final House committee, House Bill One. It's sponsored by the Republican leader, William Lambert. His, self, his, his office number is area code 615-741-1980, and they just need to say, please, uh, Leader Lamberth, would you offer the amendment that's been provided to you to fix finding M? It's A through you know M-N-O-P, finding M. Would you please offer that finding, that amendment to finding M, adopt it, and then pass the bill? And in that case, we don't have to worry in the future how this will be interpreted by court so, so
1: it's a one, good bill,
2: it's a good yeah. bill, but there's a big loophole when it comes to parental rights that that's right and what happens when you make findings it essentially legislative findings are the legislature's instructions to the judge on how to interpret the statute so here's what's going to happen as we all know or uh, the Supreme Court rested its same-sex marriage decision on the idea that that same-sex couples need to have dignity and the constitution gives them that right but that dignity in the very first, first sentence of the case was the dignity is the right to define and express your own identity so if we're not careful the aclu will wrap this assertion that the state has a duty to protect dignity and say we agree with you and dignity is self-identification and expression, and parents have a right to protect their children's constitutional rights, and so your law is unconstitutional because you're actually undermining dignity so as it's defined by the Supreme Court. Words matter. And, words uh, and matter. this having these words in here undermine the,
8: the whole law
1: thing. and undermine parental rights as well. All right, David, one more time, give folks the, the HB1 who to contact and this has to happen like right now because the bill is right. up in committee tomorrow. So give tomorrow. us that information again.
2: Yes, it's it's leader William Lambert, Christian guy, lawyer, his phone number at area code 615-741-1980. And just say, would you please offer and encourage the committee to adopt the amendment that would fix finding M. That's okay. Finding is, and I found something, the letter M.
1: Not like Finding Nemo, but Finding M. All right. Right That's after.
2: Right. Right, 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 right before Nemo.
1: All right. That's okay. Right. David, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate all the great work you do there in, Texas, uh, in uh, Tennessee.
2: Thank you, brothers. Good to be with you. Bye-bye.
1: All right. David Fowler in uh, Tennessee. Okay. You, you got your orders. If you're in Tennessee, make that phone call. It's important because these things are moving across the country. In fact, joining me now to talk about this and how they are spreading across the country because we've had, like, one lawmaker in Arkansas, Robin Lundstrom, state representative there, had the courage to stand for this bill. We helped her. She stood up. She got it passed. The governor vetoed it. She led the charge, overrode the governor's veto. It became law. And then guess what? Other states across the nation passed it. Even after South Dakota killed it the first time we worked there first to get a bill moving. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the details, but the leadership there killed it. They signed it yesterday. Why? Because we had people of courage to step forward. We need to keep this momentum going. Joining me now to talk about this is Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy here at the Family Research Council. Travis, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. So since 20. 21 when we saw this first measure successfully go through arkansas how many other states uh, have succeeded in passing this type of legislation to protect children from experimental surgeries and treatments uh and how many are considering it now
0: yeah so arkansas was the first state to pass a robust version of a bill that protects children from these puberty blockers hormones gender transition surgeries um, we've referred to the SAFE Act as something FRC advanced. There's the Help Not Harm Bill. Our friends at Family Policy Alliance are advancing that. But all in all, these bills are, are basically addressing this issue of the lie that's being foisted upon America and really our nation's youth. So Arkansas passed a robust version of the bill. Um, the only, that's the only state to pass such that, that version. Other states, there have been other, um, other states that have passed an iteration of that bill in the past two sessions. Um this this uh so far twenty twenty three we've seen two signed into law. Now Utah's has a lot of problems, but we have Oklahoma that's been signed into law, others are advancing There's 93 versions of this bill moving. And when the ACLU is concerned, you know that there is movement positively to protect kids. Um, We're seeing uh, some of these pass. We just were talking about one with David Fowler, a friend from Tennessee. We're seeing other states move these in committee. We've been having hearings the last few weeks that FRC has been involved in. And some of these are starting to pass state houses, uh, state legislative bodies. And so there is a lot of momentum the expose on the horror that it was occurring at the Jenner Clinic, at Washington University in St. Louis only is going to add the proper fuel to this fire uh, to wake up the nation to the lie and the horror that's being perpetrated on our nation's youth. I mean, this this whole thing
1: is is based on a lie. The idea that we are not created by God as male and female. And so it, it it is starting to unravel, but it requires people to have the courage to stand up and face this uh, you know, what we've seen over and over, I experienced it for years, is the not only the media but the, the viciousness of the left that that comes after any who would seek to expose what they're doing.
0: It, Tony, it totally does. And Thankfully, we're seeing more and more people who are doing that, concerned parents, elected leaders like Robin Lundstrom, and detransitioners, those whose lives have been harmed harmed and negatively affected by the lies that they were told and uh, they have received for some of their lives. Now they're recognizing that walking out of these lifestyles, walking out of the the same-sex attracted or gender-identifying lifestyle, and these are powerful testimonies. And when these testimonies are delivered... There's not much that the forces pushing the lie can say um, as they try to, to continue to cover the eyes, hearts and minds of the rest of America. But it takes all it takes all of us, Tony, it takes these um, the voices that you know we're doing communicating, letting people know what's going on as we're trying to do here at FRC, putting forth the right policy and the witnesses, those who can bear witness, the detransitioners, others who understand the issue uh, to, to shed light and, what, and thankfully, we are seeing, This is not a partisan issue. And and that 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 whole claim is also being shed, you know, where people are waking up to the reality that this this is reality. And and people are saying we want truth and justice and reality. The ACLU will claim equality, equality for everyone under the law. We need reality under the law. The children that are being harmed need reality under the law. And I believe uh, we are seeing that break open uh, and shed light upon America, upon our state capitals, and may it be so in Congress in D.C. as well.
1: Uh, Travis, final question for you, but we see those that are pushing this agenda that are, I I think, using children to advance this. Are they concerned that as this is exposed, and it, I mean, this is one of the reasons they passed in states a prohibition against counseling to stop children from going down, from getting help when they uh, start having confusion, gender dysphoria are they concerned that their whole agenda will unravel if they lose this?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think the, the issue of gender transition and the lie that is being foisted on kids will, if that unravels, it will affect, you know, a lot of other things. For, for the positive, it'll, it'll affect, it'll, it'll dismantle the arguments that are being put forth on a whole host of other areas. You know, and I believe the enemy is, is trying to, to to cause people to separate their perceptions and feelings from reality, and we're seeing the media and, and, sadly, professional associations play along with that and try to bend reality to fit their ideology and fit this lie. So we just need to keep proclaiming the truth against that, praying for, for light to prevail and help to prevail. And, uh, Tony, but I'm encouraged, and, and I believe that we can see the unraveling of this in the near future.
1: I think you're uh, absolutely right. As long as we have the courage to stand on the truth, the lies will be and are being exposed. Travis Weber, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Thank, thank you. You know, this is it is encouraging because this is what happens when we all begin to stand up. When it's not just one of us out here or a couple of us, but we begin to realize the dangerous, destructive, deceptive agenda that's being pushed onto our children that's, to, that, that's destroying their lives. We need to stand up against this and say, no, not on our watch, not going to happen. So when you see these measures going through your state, speak out, talk to your friends, talk to your legislators, make sure we stand for the truth. All right, folks, we're out of time, but I, again, want to thank you for joining us today. And until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found founded Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported.